camp. It wasn't Young Life, but our church back in Brooklyn. And I remember <coughs> my mother had wanted all of us of age to be able to go, but she could only pay for, I think, two of the four of us who were old enough at the time um, to go to camp. And so I remember um, one of the couples in our church coming to my mother and said, I want to pay for Curtis to go. That was the first time I had ever gone and was presented with the gospel and was, I mean, not, not presented, I'm sorry, was reinforced the gospel. And, and that was one of those first times that I began to think deeply and seriously about my relationship with the Lord. But it came to, at the hands of someone saying, I want him to go. And for some of us, we can do that with Mike, with a kid and saying, I want a kid to go. And uh, you may not be able to cover uh, one whole kid, but you could help with a part of it. And so consider what the Lord would have you guys to actually do. And you don't know what it will change and how it will change and what it will cause. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. I am going to laugh because this is Proverbs chapter 30. My brother's here this morning. He knows what I mean, but that's okay. Proverbs 30. And... Um, <coughs> As we begin to close off our time in Proverbs, I really hope that you guys, as we've looked at this, here's what I hope. I hope that you guys have looked in that mirror of yourself as, as you've looked into the word and you've seen where God has been pointing you. You've seen where God has been correcting you, where he's been encouraging you, where he's been saying you've been doing it right, keep it going, you know, and, and, and know that he's been enabling you. Know that. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that as you've seen through, as we've walked through the Proverbs and, and the different um, ones of us that have been up here, that you've been seeing what the Lord has today. We're going to look at um, verses 1 through 15, and we are going to look at this whole issue of Agur. He's the oracle that's speaking. Agur has it right. I almost um, titled this message, What He Said. And the reason I did that is he begins to, I mean, this proverb begins to close us out in a way that I think we need to be reminded every day as we journey with the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, it just kind of gives you a glimpse into what it looks like when you embrace and you grab a hold of the wisdom of God that he's providing and it allows you to live life in the way that he has intended. And so, I'm not going to read the whole thing through. When you are embracing the wisdom of God, you will not exalt yourself above his word, but instead you will submit yourself to it. You will not replace or add to his word. Let me say that again. When you are embracing the wisdom of God, you will not exalt yourself above what God, but his word. You will not exalt yourself above it, thinking you're smarter than it, but you will submit yourself to it. And there are four things that I want us to see this morning as we read through <coughs> Proverbs 30. First thing is, Agur realized, you know, um, his power versus God's power, his realization about that. Second thing we're going to look at is 
his realization of the wisdom of God, I mean, the wisdom of man compared to God. We're going to look at that. Then we're going to look at how he realized um, what God's word really is and really means and our response to it. And then lastly, he kind of gives us four types of people, the opposite, who oppose God's word. He kind of gives you a picture as to where we should be and what we should be like and, and where our focus should be as humans. And then at the end, he gives us kind of a four-person scenario of where you don't want to be. And I love that because the Proverbs is always giving us the ideal, giving us where we should be, but it doesn't just stay on the ideal. It always gives us where we will be if we choose to ignore it. That's what I like about the Proverbs. It doesn't just give you the sugar. You know, God just loves you and life is going to be great. And if you follow God, it's just, it's all going to be wonderful. True. But many times we cut out the other part. And if you choose not to follow him, here's what's, here's what's going to happen in your life. And he does both for us and kind of closes this out in a fashion that, to me, that actually keeps us sober-minded about where we are. So let's jump in. Verse 1, the words of Agur, son of um, Jerkay, the oracle. Now, let me just say real quick, history has found that they, can't, they don't know who this person is. There's no record of him. And so as they begin to look, they didn't know who this oracle was or, or was referring to. Chapter 30 is divided into two sections believed to be two different people speaking. But this first section through verses 1 through 15 is Agur, whoever he is. Don't need to know him. I just know that he's got it right. And now he is speaking just very bluntly and, and being very transparent. As he looks at who he is and how he thinks his mind, his wisdom compared to God. And so I want us to keep that in mind. This is not just a guy, as we read, who's just putting himself down. He's comparing himself to God as he's stating this. And so he says, the words of Agur, son of Jekyll, the oracle, the man declares, he's talking about himself, I am weary, O God, I am weary. And worn out. Agora's realization about his power compared to God. Verse 1 on this one. Here's what he says. He says, look, God, when I go through life, when I'm trying to live out this life, and many of you can identify with this, he just says, I'm tired. I'm weary. My power has its limits. I want to come to an end. You've ever been like that? You are trying to live the right way. You are trying to do the right thing. You are trying to say the right thing. You're trying to set your life in the right way. And all that comes at you, you are just tired. And sometimes you're tired of doing the right thing. Sometimes you just get weary. God, this, this is just, this is just tiring. And he says, the man, and I love how he puts it. In other words, humanly speaking, I'm worn out. 
see, and when that happens, here's the problem. We get weary and worn out compared to God. He never does. But what happens is when we are operating in our wisdom, in our own thinking, in our way, and we're weary, we begin to live out of our weariness. And that's when we begin to make bad decisions. That's when we begin to compromise. That's when we begin to say, you know what, God really didn't mean that. Why? Because I'm getting weary. And I'm living out of my thoughts in my weariness. Here's what I'll give for us to say. Whenever you find yourself at a point where you are not wanting or you are getting tired of doing things God's way, know that you are beginning to operate, live, and make decisions out of your weariness and not out of God's wisdom. What he wants you to do is to say, I know that. I know that in your wisdom and in your thinking and in your experience, you're getting tired. And it's why I want you to come over to my wisdom and rest. Why I want you to take my word and to live it, even if you're tired. You know what I think about with that? I think about the scenario when Peter was in the boat with Christ. They had fished all day. And Jesus gets up, you know, he's in the boat and he says, throw your nets to the other side. Now, now. I know most of us not being professional fishermen don't quite understand fully the scenario there. So Jesus still hadn't fully revealed himself to those around, but he was known as the carpenter's son. And he himself probably had skill and expertise in carpentry. Let me ask you of your, your, your area of skill. Have you ever had someone who is not in your area of skill come into your area of skill and try to tell you how to do your area of skill? And th- by the response on the faces, right. Many of y'all want to be like, the boy Bob. What? Go sit down. I, th- this is my area. And by Peter's response, out of respect, but his response, he said, throw your nets to the other side. What you think we've been doing? We've been throwing them on, on both sides all night. Because the fishermen, they do it early in the morning, best time to catch fish. Nets on one side, then throw it on the other, and throw it, and it is grueling work. And so all night, and so out comes Jesus. Again, they still don't fully know him. Throw your nets on the other side. Man, you make no sense. He says, Lord, because you asked. I love that. In other words, Peter now was already weary and tired from working all night his way, and not a whole lot happened. This was a low-catch night. Jesus comes in, and at his word to Peter, who is weary, he says, throw your nets on the other side. Like there was a side that they hadn't thrown it on yet. Have you thought about that? Uh, Oh, you missed that side. No. So Peter just says, at your word, Lord, I will. And he takes it. And you can almost hear in his response the sarcasm, the okay. But because he, instead of working out of his weariness and declining the Lord, he worked out of the Lord's wisdom and obeyed it. And, of course, the catch, you know, Jesus was like, all right, fish, I need all y'all to come over here. 
because you know he does control nature as well. And so, so many fish that it began to break the net and the boat began to, and they had to call over friends to come and help. Peter realized when he responds and says, I am uh, away from me, from I am undone, I am sinful. Peter realized he got a glimpse that he was in the presence of God. He was in the presence of deity. He realized I am sinful. I don't deserve to be in the presence of who you are because of what was just displayed. Peter knew they didn't miss a side. He knew this was something, uh, uh, really something divine. And so his response was what would happen when you are in the presence of God. I will say for some of us today, God wants us to realize that in our power, we are worn out and we are weary and you will quit. I'm done. But he says, good. Now I want you to begin to work out of my strength. I want you to begin to work out of my power. And that comes by just obeying the words that you that you read, that you are studying that you are learning, and watch me enable you to carry it out. So, Agur got it right in that he realized his wisdom, I'm sorry, his power compared to God's. Next one is Agur's realization on his wisdom compared to God's. Here's how he compares himself. He says, surely I am, now, some versions say I am a dullard. We don't use that word and that term. That word dullard, the, uh, the ESV um, translated, surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. Now, again, you may think, man, you're being kind of harsh here, bro. Like, you shouldn't be calling yourself that. He said to understand who he's comparing himself to. He says, when it comes to living life as a man, and when it comes to living in the way that I should, I am my mentality towards it compared to you, God, is like that of a beast compared to humanity. In other words, he said, I don't even have the intellect of a beast when I'm comparing myself to you. Here's what he is saying. I love his transparency. Some of us get a little education and we think that we know it all. I got it. God, I don't need you. My success is happening. And he is saying, no, what I realize is in my wisdom, I'm in beast mode, except that's not a good thing. He said, I am operating at the level of an unintelligent beast. Please hear that. When you jettison, when you reject the wisdom of God and his word, you are operating as a beast on the earth. Why? Because you don't know. Yes, I'm going to say it like him. I am too stupid. I don't know how to be a man outside of God. I don't know what it's like to live in the way that he desires if all I'm living by is my standard. I'm going to make those mistakes that will cause trouble for me down the line. Why? Because if I'm trying to say, no, Lord, I don't want what you have, what you say is really not that critical. What I think, and we have a lot of people doing that today, what I think is what goes. He says, understand, you're a dullard. You're too stupid to be a man or a woman. I read that first and I laughed. I was like, wow, that's too 
stupid. I'm too stupid to be. I don't even know how to be a man. And then I thought, Lord, if it wasn't for you. Oh, there are plenty of people being men and women out in our world without God. And you see the stupidity. Not because they're unintelligent and they can't do their careers and their jobs. We have a lot of people who don't know the Lord who are brilliant in their field. Intellectual. But you look at their lives and you begin to see, boy, that was kind of stupid. Why would they do that? That, that, that? that doesn't make sense. Why would they? Why would they live that way? See, but you have the privilege, if you're into the word of God, of seeing how the Lord wants you to live. And they may not. And so they are living the best they know how. And don't know why they keep hitting those walls in life. Well, the reason they do is because they don't compare to God. They're too stupid to know how to live as a man and a woman should. And then he breaks it down for them even more. He says... I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. And then he begins to clarify what he means. Verse 4, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Here's what he says, to the person that thinks they are wise without God, he says, let me back up a little bit. Because these are the things that God has done and does that, that requires wisdom greater than any man has. And yet you say to God, no? When he goes, okay, who has ascended to heaven and have come? Which one of you knows more than God? In other words, he didn't say has come from earth and has gone up and instructed. Who has ascended up to heaven where the Lord is, where the creator is, the one of all knowledge, learned, no, 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 no taught him, and then have come back down? The issue becomes none of us are qualified to go up and teach God. Have you ever had a situation happen where you go, Lord, I, I, I just wish you hadn't done it that way. I don't like what you did. I, I, I don't agree with you. You may not have said that. You may have. You may have wondered, why did you allow that? I wouldn't have done that. Now, you may be confused about why he did it, but when we start getting angry at the Lord and say, I wouldn't have done that, why did you let that happen? Yeah. Who told you to do that? You are starting to instruct the Lord. Really? Now, I may not like it, yes. I may wish it was done differently out of my lack of knowledge, yes. But for me to sit here and think that I can instruct the Lord that I say, that's not how it should have been done. That's not the way that should have ended. I really wouldn't have chose that one. You know, one of the hardest things for me to, to, to deal with in the as you guys know, were the death of my sister. And I'm thankful for the word of God because I'll be honest with you, it would have tripped me up if I didn't have God's word because the, both of their scenarios and them being so young, my just thought was, I, I, in my mind, God, what are you doing? That was my thought. Because I know you control life and death. And they weren't doing things that were outside of the will of God. They weren't living life in this disobedient manner. Not that they were perfect. Please don't, don't, don't get that at all. 
but they were going about living life. And life ended. And in my mind, I was like, why on earth would you do that? Like, like really? That was my mind. But in my heart, I knew God's word. And I said, God, you are perfect in everything you do. You make no mistake. Now, I was honest. My heart is hurting and it's broken. I said, but Lord, the one thing I do know, this is not because you are not good. I had to say that. And I said, this is extremely hard, and I need your wisdom to walk through it. But I know you do all things good. And I know you work through all things for my good and for theirs as well. I have no idea why you've allowed this. But, and we can all insert areas in our lives where things have happened where we wish they had not. And we do not have the wisdom of God. And so we come with a limited level of knowledge. We haven't ascended to heaven. We can't grasp the wind. We haven't told the wind where to go. As a matter of fact, not even our weather forecasters can do that. They just tell us where the wind may go or where it has gone. I always laugh when they get on the news and they say, give us a good forecast. I was like, he's not going to give you anything. He's just going to tell you what they think, many times wrong. But based on science and patterns, we can give you, but then that thing can change in an instant. They're not giving you, they're not telling you what they want the weather to happen. They're just giving you what they think. God says, the wind is in my hand. And so understand this, the next time you are tempted, and you will be, The next time you are tempted to say to God, what are you doing? Say to yourself, God, I know I'm not wise enough, but can you help me until you give me an understanding of what you're doing? And if you never give an understanding, can you still help me to remain faithful and obedient? Because he may never give you. He may never give you an answer this side of life. You may not ever know why. God says, I still want you to be faithful. Third one, Agur's realization on God's word. Verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. I love this. Agur realized that every word of God can be tested And found to be true. If you, like some have said, how can I trust God's word? How do I know? How do I know this is going to work? Because he has proven it over time. It has been tested. It has been reliable over time. And whatever God says will happen does. Whatever he says won't, won't. If it hasn't happened yet, just wait, it will. And we've seen that throughout time. But he says every word of God proves true. But then he gives a warning. Don't add or change. Revelation makes that clear to us. As a matter of fact, at the very end of the book, Revelations chapter 22, verse 18, John warns, I want everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. Here's what he's saying, though, and we see that throughout Scripture. This is not the only place. God says, don't add to what I've said. Don't change it. 
Don't give your take. There are no cliff notes to God's word. Don't think that you're going you're gonna to come better with it. I think I shared this with you guys before. I'll never forget being in a training session, corporate training session years ago. And this guy who thought he was smart. I, I guess he did. And he was, you know, giving us, he said, you know how Jesus has the golden rule? Give unto us, I mean, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He says, no, this one, he literally says, I got one better. And I sat there, I was like. Oh, wow, okay. You got one better than Jesus. I mean, what else is there? He says, I'm going to call it the platinum rule. Okay, so he's going with a, with, with a, with a metal. He thinks it's more impressive. He says, do unto others as you would want them. No, what, no. Do unto others as they want you to do. I was like, wow. So here you think you're smarter than God now. First of all, that was one scenario. The fact that you compared yourself to Christ and that you're going to one-up him just, it already turned me off. And I said, oh, okay, scenario. And I was like, I'm probably losing my job if I said that to him in person. So I kept it in my mind. I said, scenario, what if the person wants to end their life and they want you to do it for them? Do unto others as they want you to do to them. Is really, is, is. Does that work all the time? And I went through all these different scenarios. I said, here is a man who does not understand the wisdom of God, nor did he understand the text. But he stood there using in this corporate setting this idea, and, and, and I just thought, wow, okay, you think you're smarter than God. I got one up on him. No, God's word is always true. It doesn't need any updates. It doesn't need any additions, and he doesn't need you to take away from it. Do that, and here's what he says. God will prove you to be a liar. You will be found out. And many people over the years that they'll try and say something, or all of those that have come afterward and said, I'm the Christ, I'm the next Messiah, I'm the next Savior, they've been proven to be wrong every time. Why? Because God says, my word says there's only one and there will be another. God will prove you to be a liar when you oppose his word and tell people that it's not true. Just know that. And then lastly, and I'm going to go through these four. Agur got it right with the four types of people who oppose God's wisdom. The first one, and this is given so we can recognize ourselves and we can get the direction that we need. The first one, verse 11. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. And that first type of person who opposes God's wisdom, they will be disrespectful to and despise their parents. Which is that authority in their life. They will be disrespectful and despise. It doesn't mean that your parents are perfect at all. And they may be doing some things wrong, but he says that they curse. This whole deal is in, in this culture especially. The level that the, uh, that the authority figures held, and again, Proverbs is assuming that these authority figures are living right as well. And so they're saying here that disrespectful and despising of those people who are charged with your upbringing and your leadership shows that you are out of sync with God's wisdom. Secondly. 
There are those who are clean in their own eyes, verse 12, but are not washed of their filth. The people that think that they are clean before the Lord, for whatever criteria they use, it's not God's criteria. Because it says they think they are clean. Oh, I'm good with God. Oh, I'm okay. My life is cool. He says when they've not been cleaned of their filth, they are nasty and dirty. They think they're clean. You ever had a kid that you told to go wash? And they came and talking about them clean, and you smell them before they get to you. And you go, I'm, I washed. You were like, with what, mud? What did you wash with? What did you clean up with? And it was like, you think, I'm clean. No, you're not. The reality is the standard for cleansing, for cleanliness does not rest in our minds. The standard for being clean rests in God's wisdom and his word and so understand when you start to state my life is clean and I'm good with the Lord it better be based on God's word so it says second kind of person person that thinks that they're clean when they have not yet been washed from their filth dangerous third person there are those how lofty are their eyes how high their eyelids lift up. And all you think about, we say today, a person whose nose is so high in the air, it is scraping the clouds. And so that third person is the conceited and prideful person. Conceited and prideful people. You think more of yourself than you should. You put yourself in a category where you become the standard for others. Yes, we want to model good of Christian living to others, but to think that I'm the standard is crazy. God is the standard that way on any given day, no matter how good I feel about how I'm living, there's still room for growth. Why? Because I'm not the standard. And if I become the standard and I start telling you to live like me, then I think I've got it made. I may fall back into that second category where I think I'm clean, but my filth is still there. Why? Because I'm so filled with pride. I can't say anything. I mean, you can't say anything to me because I'm too clean. Now, some of y'all do come in here as clean as ever. I ain't going to mention some names. You come in here as clean as ever. But, but we know that clean is temporary and is based on a limited standard. Once again, when you base it and compare it to God, he says those who are conceited, and those who lift their eyes up, which means you can't see anyone else. I've read it one time. Some people are so full of themselves, there's no room for God's spirit to fill them. And then lastly, fourth, it says there are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from the earth, from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. Listen to that. Man, the research is missing. That fourth kind of person that opposes the wisdom of God seeks to get rid of those who are a bother to them. And those are the poor and the needy. Do you see that? 
He said, they are just trying to erase. Let's, let's just get rid of them so we don't have to worry about seeing them anymore. Let's get them off the streets. Let's put them away in the corner. Let's make some laws that we don't have to deal with them. Let's eradicate them. God says, whoa, hold on a second. You are opposing me and my wisdom when your desire is to get rid of them instead of to help, to show compassion, and to change them. See, one of the things that you'll learn quickly growing up in New York is that you were always going to see the homeless. I don't care where you are, what season of the year, when, you will always see them. You know, and if I got to the point, I just wish they would just do something with this homelessness. Well, I don't see these people. Really? So this is about my comfort? And I don't want to have to deal with them, so y'all just do something with these folks? That's that same attitude. God is saying, you want them eradicated. You are outside of my will. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go back to the early ones. He, he goes, I'm too stupid to be a man. And he says here, those are the poor and needy. I allow to be their sick. And you are to show compassion. Oh, you don't make excuses for them. You are to show compassion. You are to bring Christ. And you are to bring his love. I still think about you can't get into the story. I still think about this whole scenario with Jesus that led to him telling the story of the Good Samaritan. What was the scenario? It was a Pharisee. It was a lawyer who was trying to justify himself before the Lord. First, he was trying to trap the Lord, which, one, once again, I'll go back to that verse. He was too stupid to be a man because he was trying to trap the Lord. He didn't realize that Jesus was, and so he... He gets in and, and, and he tries to trap him. He tries to test him. And the Lord, you know, which commandments? And he, he says, you know, tell me. Love the Lord, yes, and then Jesus, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. These two summarize. And then the scripture says, trying to justify himself, he comes back with another question. He realized that he couldn't trap Christ, so he's like, well, 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 well let, me, let me at least not look bad. Who is my neighbor? Jesus said, glad you asked. You notice Jesus never answered the question? He made him answer his own question because he tells the story of the Good Samaritan where the hero of the story is the most hated individual in Jewish culture, the Samaritan. The two that had mud on their face were the the two elite in their society, the Levite and the lawyer, Pharisee, both of them. Highly elevated in their society, highly religious in their society, well-respected. Who did he make the hero? The Samaritan who was in their eyes, the half-breed, the one that they hated, the one that was the reminder of their occupation under rule back then. And he asked him at the end, so who do you think was neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The guy answered his own question. He said, the one that showed him compassion. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. There's your answer. See, the issue is you and I show the heart, the wisdom, and the compassion of God in the way we deal with people that can't give anything back to us. The people that can't, you know, smooth out my network. You help me, I help you. I come to your party, you come to my party. You help me get a job, I help you get a job. God said, no, no, no. When you deal with those 
that are poor and needy, and you don't seek to get them out your way, but you seek to help them, you are demonstrating my wisdom because it takes that to deal with them. So what do we say? When you are embracing the wisdom of God, you will not exalt yourself above his word, but you will submit yourself to it. You will not replace, you will not add to his word. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much. Lord, that Agur had it right. Father, that on our own, we are dullards. We don't know. As the version says, we are too stupid. Father, because our knowledge and our wisdom is limited. Oh, Lord, you've given us expertise in our areas and in our fields, and we thank you for that, and we do operate in that. But, Lord, in life, if we go without you, we are unwise. And I pray, God, that we would embrace your wisdom found in your word and obedience to it, and that we would live as those that know that you are smarter than we are. And I pray, God, by doing that, Father, we would demonstrate your wisdom to this lost world. Help us, O oh Lord, not to, to realize the things that Agora did and to not be those four types that oppose you. I pray that we would take seriously your word and live by its truth. Asking this in Christ's name, amen. This morning, as we get ready to close, you guys may be thinking, and wow, I, I'm I'm unwise. Join the club. Outside of God, we all are. But there's some here this morning or may even watching that the lack of wisdom comes in that you've never come to Christ. You've never admitted the truth that he stated in that we are all sinners born in sin and will die in sin if we never embrace the fact that he is God's only provision for sin and the only way we come to God the Father. Is through Christ. You've never done that. You are still in your sins. And if that's you this morning, in wisdom, you can come to God and have that changed. And if that's you this morning, I just, I, I, I ask that you, that you pray right where you are. And if you want to do that, I ask that you see me after service. I would love to pray with you and talk with you about how you can have a relationship with Christ. And if you're watching, can you can you just give us a call with the information that will be on the screen at the bottom where you can find out how to have a relationship with God through Christ and begin that journey of wisdom. We, you can live. We can live wisely. Oh, it won't be perfect, but, but it will be wisely. And you can know that even in those times when life is tough and hard, I am attached to the all-wise God, of, I mean, to whom no one compares. And regardless of what happens, my life is set on the course that God approves of. And so this morning, if you are a believer and you found yourself in one of those camps, just get before the Lord and pray honestly. God's not sitting there waiting to beat you up. He's sitting there waiting to connect and to, um, and to bring you closer. And just pray before him and ask him to begin to direct your attention, your heart in the right place. And so this morning, as you leave here, I'm going to pray this. I mean, I'm going to pray for us again, but I'm going to ask you this week just to think about whose wisdom am I flowing in? Do I think I'm smart enough on my own in the decisions that I'm making? 
or am I incorporating and living out of the wisdom of the scriptures because I'm learning them on a regular basis? By what standard do you call yourself smart? By whose standard do you call yourself clean? By what standard do you say my life is okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, for reminding us Lord, that you are all wise and we are not. And that, Father, as we embrace who you are, Father, it will change who we are. Be with us this week. Strengthen us, God, as we go forward. Help us to reflect on what was said so that we may live according to how you desire. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. Our ushers going to dismiss and as a matter of fact we can dismiss if we want all out the door we don't have to and so this morning we just ask you guys again and I'll just do that as you dismiss um, you, you guys can head on out you don't need to go out the door here if you do want to um, speak with Mike he will be back by the door um, on the stand there where he'll have the um, QR code give him a chance to be back there um, go and encourage him and let's we you know this week let's be wise in God's eyes and so I'm gonna have our ushers just to be able to direct everyone out you're dismissed have a great week thanks again for coming and for those that were visiting thank you again we're glad to have you God bless you